Good. I I look very dark. It's okay. I'm just going to use the audio. Oh, okay. No, it's not that big a deal. Um, Is my audio okay? Yeah, you sound great. All right, cool. So you're in Portland? Is that where you are? No, I'm Kansas City. Kansas City. Okay. I lived in Portland for a couple of years. I okay. lived in Chicago for five years, Portland for three, and LA for six. Cool, cool. Uh, so are you, are you familiar with what exactly the Art of Comedy um, nonprofit is doing? Um, no. Okay. What we're doing is we're giving um, scholarships and paying for classes for uh, first women and then the LGBTQIA community and troubled youth um, to take comedy and improv classes um, just to help them overcome trauma. I want to work with, you know, shelters and organizations that help those communities. Um, Are you in Wichita? I am in Denver. Denver. Um, oh, wonderful. I mean, technically, I'm in Wichita as we speak, but I'm, I'm, I home in Denver. Um, That's great. But right now, with there being no comedy in Denver, I was just sitting in my room by myself. So <clears throat> I came to Wichita for a little bit because this is where all my people are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, friends. And I was the first female comic at the Looney bin back a hundred years ago in the first location. Oh yeah. When it was out on 21st. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago that you were the first female comedian. Uh, well, I mean, they had just opened. So it was back in like 2000, I think. That's still only like 20 years. That's crazy. Yeah. You thought they'd had a female comedian before that. Um, <laughs> they'd only been open a few months. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying now. I'm saying that I've been doing this a hundred years. I'm old as fuck. And, uh, Is that why you're dark? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the light just absorbs into me and I radiate nothing but darkness. Yeah, that's what doing comedy for 20 years will do to you. No, um, I hope not. I love it. Um, but it's different now than it was. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Cause, uh, comedy's really helped me and I think that it can help other people, even if they don't become comedians. Um, for sure. I think that's wonderful. I think that's a great, um, that's a wonderful mission. Uh, who's teaching your classes? Um, I don't really have any set teachers yet. In Denver, there's, um, I was just going to send people to Christy Buckley's class that she already has going at the Voodoo Lounge, or Voodoo Comedy uh, there. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a comedian up in North Colorado, like in Fort Collins area, that's going to teach for North. I'd like to find one in the Springs um, to catch the people in the South. And then... You know, so it's starting in Denver, obviously, and then see how those. I think that's just great. And I'd like to branch out into other areas. Um, yeah. <clears throat> teachers or find teachers that are already there, but that would take other people doing work on the ground in that city. So it's not just about teaching a class. I'd have to have somebody that was willing to, you know, do other work in for the nonprofit in that area, like sponsors and stuff yeah um, producing shows that fundraise they got to do some sort of fundraising activity um 
somebody have to be doing that within the scene as well. So um, it would really take at least, I mean, one person that wants to do everything, wants to teach and do all that stuff, or a person that wants to teach and a person that wants to do all that stuff. So, um, <coughs> so that, you know, I want to take over the whole world. That's, that's good. Like pinky in the brain, um, but females in comedy or the others, as I say, the others in comedy. Um, yeah, and so how long, how did you start doing comedy? What's your, like, what's your story, man? Uh, well, did you, are you familiar, like, did you read my bio or anything? Did you familiarize yourself with? I have, not okay. like right before we got on this call, though. Oh, okay. Uh, I started back in 96, but before I, um, before I did comedy, I worked at a comedy club, and uh, I opened my for just a couple months in Kansas City in 95, the end of 95. And then in February of 96, I moved to Chicago and I wasn't moving up there for comedy. Uh, I was just moving up there because it wasn't Kansas City and I always loved Chicago. And then um, in August of 96, I got approached to do a college comedy tour. And I'd been on stage, I mean, I'm telling you like maybe a dozen times. And I was, as green as green could be. I didn't know, I didn't know like, I didn't know what a classic joke structure was. I knew nothing. I was just funny, like organically funny, but, um, and I'd been around comedy and I always loved comedy. Um, <clears throat> you know, from when I was like a, a preteen, I remember watching the HBO Friday night comedy uh, specials, like Sam Kinison and Roseanne Barr and Pee Wee Herman when it was like the adult Pee Wee. Yeah. And, um, so I've always, I've always believed in taking opportunities that are offered to you, even if you're not ready for them, which is, you know, I can't say that's the best advice. Um, it's worked it, well for me, but I'm the kind of person that will rise to the challenge. If you're yeah. the kind of person that's going to take on too much and then panic and not do it or something. Um, but yeah, my personality, it works really well for me. So if you, I won't seek out opportunities that are above, you know, where I'm at, but if I'm offered one, I'll figure out how to get there to the best of my yeah. ability before that. Well, the producer of the guy producing this comedy tour for, and he was producing for an agency in Michigan. He was a comic and he'd done the tour for the past few years. And so he moved into like the producer slash road manager position and he was looking for a female because they hadn't had a female comic on the tour for like uh, 10 years. The last one they'd had was like, was Kathy Sorbo out of Seattle. She's, she's just wonderful, just wonderful. And uh, so he went to Kansas City and a couple people referred him to me <clears throat> in Chicago. Um, and uh, <laughs> which kind of speaks to the misogyny of Kansas City, uh, especially back then, it's gotten just like minutely better. But uh, back then, there there were female comics here in Kansas City, but they referred him to me, someone who'd been on stage less than a dozen times and moved to Chicago, again not for comedy. So he came up and went and saw me at an open mic and offered me the tour and. Uh, 
it started like a few weeks later. <clears throat> so I quit my day job and gave up my apartment and went on tour. And it was um, horrible. It was like, I mean, it was like being thrown to the sharks. College kids, it was a college comedy tour. It was called You Laugh, You Lose, uh, which doesn't really, you know, set up uh, friendly like uh, reception. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. not by um, by uh, college kids who are again they are like sharks. If they smell fear, they just fucking strike. And I was I was so they made me MC, uh, which you know back in the eighties the MCs were like the most seasoned person on the show because in order to have a good show you have to have someone with some knowledge and a lot of confidence starting it because the MC is who makes the audience comfortable. It's who makes them laugh the first time. It, it's like yeah. who the audience puts their trust in. And so we're dealing with like just shitty audience situation. They're just college kids who come into a show like you laugh, you lose, fuck you fine, I won't laugh. And I'm out there, my voice is audibly shaking. Like you, you could hear it, like it was literally, you could hear it shake. It was terrible. It was, it was the worst. And the, the you laugh, you lose. The, the, the part, the ironic, uh, not really ironic. The, it wasn't really appropriately named because you laugh, you lose only referred to one of the improv games in the second half of the show. So the first half of the show was stand-up. The second half of the show was improv games. And there was one little improv, one, one, one little game where if you got chosen, if like the college kid, if your name got picked, you got to come up to the stage, sit in a chair for one minute per comic, so three minutes total. And if you didn't laugh, you got to spin a wheel and maybe win up to $200. So literally the show was named for three, possibly one, two, or three, because if they, if the second you laugh, you're, you're out. So if yeah. you laugh from yeah. the first comic, it's like literally less than one minute. So up to three minutes of the show, the entire show is named for this up to three minute game out of a, an hour and a half show. Uh, and so the college kids, but they come in and they're just like, I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to laugh. And it's my job as the MC to go out and be like, oh no, it's like, you guys can laugh, but I'm so new. I'm so green. I'm so nervous that I'm just, it was terrible. It was horrible. So the, uh, the colleges would complain about me to the agency like when the agency, when whatever rep had sold the show to that college would call them the next day and be like, so what'd you think? They would just trash me. They, they hated me with, with like fair reason. They thought they were getting a professional and they're getting someone who was like literally hiring telemarketers two weeks before, you know? And so I, I was like, I was going to quit because I was just like, this, this is terrible. This is, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And uh, so I went, <clears throat> one night I went and I, I called my old boss back in Chicago at the, at the, at the market research place and I get my job back. And then uh, I went to our road manager's hotel room and I'm like, Hey, so listen, when we go back to Chicago, we had a college near Chicago um, like the next week. And I was like, I think I'm just going to stay there. I'm going to go ahead and not, not go on with you guys. And he's like, um, no, you're going to go on with us. And I was like, no, no, I can't do this. I have, I can't do this. And he's like, well, you signed a contract with me and I'm not going to let you out of it. And 
I have no idea where I would be if he would have let me out of it, but he didn't let me quit. And I just had to, like, I just had to get good. I, and you know, good, it's as good as you can get in your first year, which is still not very good, but I had to get good enough to, to make it work. I had to get good enough. And my voice shook until, gosh, let me think. So the tour started in August and I want to say that my voice shook on stage until like October. It was just, it was terrible, but, um, I stuck with it the entire, the entire college year, like from August until May, uh, I stuck with it. And then I went on and, uh, I was working clubs in the summer and like doing like normal comedy stuff in the summer. And then I went on to do a second, um, well, I, I signed on for a second year of the tour. Uh, the agency we were working for was really a, just a real asshole agency. They were real mean to us. And, um, so the second year they had a different road manager and I was the only person that had done the show previously and uh, our new road manager, they treated him really badly and he ended up um, quitting and and taking us all. We were contracted to him and then he was contracted to them. So when he quit, he just like killed the tour six weeks in. So um, then I just went on to do, uh, you know, his contract. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a rough start, but I mean, I think that that sort of set me up to be able to weather the storms. Yeah. Weather the storms. And, um, what led you to want to get up on stage the first time? I was working at a comedy club. I was, I had done, I had worked at one of their locations and made friends with a lot of the local comics. And then when that location closed, I went down to the main location down in Westport, down in the bar district. And I was, uh, I was underage, but I'd sort of gotten, gotten grandfathered in transferring to that location. And, um, I was barbacking and I used to go out drinking with the comics after the open mic. And I would always tell the host, his name was Dave Free. And he was just such, such a lovely person. Um, I would always tell him like, Hey, I, I want to go up and he'd be like, okay, all right. And I'm like, I'll go up next week. And so then the next week would come, he'd be like, you want to go up tonight? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Give me next week, next week. And I put it off and put it off and put it off. And then one time he was like, you're going up tonight. And I was like, no, 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 next week. And it was the week it was, that was Thanksgiving week. And he was like, okay, well, uh, be ready. Cause I am putting you up next week. And I, uh, I wrote out three minutes of material and I memorized it word for word. Um, and I went up and it was, I was so scared. I was so, so scared. I wasn't supposed to have to work that night. I'd gotten the night off because I really, I wanted to like wear a pretty dress and I wanted to, you know, like really, uh, get my energy for it. And the other bar back got arrested. So I ended up having to go into work and I was really nervous. So the bartender kept sliding me Jaeger shots. I, my my like energy I was so like like amped that I wasn't wasn't feeling them and uh and I mean there was a few I was a drinker back then again I was not 21 yet um 
And so he kept giving me Jaeger shots to try and calm me down. But I was just so like, like, ugh. And I went up on stage and I opened my mouth and my three minutes of material just like fell out and I got a lot of laughs and um, every week was like a contest and I won that night. And I remember, I remember laughs and I remember applause and I remember taking one step off the stage and all the Jaeger hit me. And um, then I remember working the rest of the night drunk. And um, when I went to throw out the trash that night, uh, a broken bottle slit one of the um, garbage bags and cut one of my, cut one of my fingers. I can't remember which one. And if I had lighting in here, I'd be able to see it. I still have a tiny little scar. So I have a little bit of a scar from the first night I did comedy. <laughs> and a great story. Um, I, Thank you. <clears throat> um, I mean, I, I started comedy after my little brother started comedy like six months before me. And then I didn't start, I didn't initially plan to start. I was just going to hang out with the comedians because I had a breakup and I was sad. And then I just watched these comedians um, at an open mic once and was like, I, I know I'm funnier than they are. <laughs> and then I didn't tell anybody and I just went up at the comedy club. At, at the Looney Bin, but their new location downtown. Uh -huh. And um, I had mine printed out, 12 point font, word for word, on a piece of paper. I didn't get through half of it. And um, it went really, really well. And I was just, I came off of the stage just a different person when I went up. And the I laughter is intoxicating. I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, it was totally uh, an unexpected thing. Like I knew I was funny, and I knew I was gonna like it, but I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for how it took over my whole life. <laughs> yeah, um, but it really did help me come out of that depression. And it's helped me in the four years since um, process things, even if I don't talk about them on stage. Um, just with confidence and things like that. So like, how, how do you think comedy has um, positively shaped your life or who you are at this point? Um, it's, it's my artistic outlet, you know, it's my, um, well, you said it, it's the way you process it. Like once you find your artistic medium, if you're, if you're an artist, you know, and a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people aren't, you know, a lot of people just uh, journal or they just go to therapy or whatever. And, and then it's gone. But I think that artists have like artists are more spongy and they absorb pain more and they absorb situations, they absorb energy more and they have to get it out. And so I think that if, if, you're, if you're an artist type, once you find your medium, that's, I mean, and comedy is my medium. Um, I, it's helped me, it's hard to say, you know, I would say that it's helped me 
to know that I can pull something good out of out of any bad situation. I can always turn it into comedy. And I think that I've probably said that in uh, interviews like previous to 2016, probably previous to my father dying, uh, I would have said that. But I think that it's shaped the way I think. And I think that the depth of, of the painful situations that I've experienced has changed the way I've written, uh, which is a lovely thing because I mean, that's any sort of, any sort of artistic path that you're on should develop. You should develop and deepen and, and change and grow. Um, I guess that was redundant. I already said develop. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, how is it? Well, you were so young when you started, it's hard to separate it what comedy and what is just the natural progression of not being 20 anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, now here's the thing. I, I have learned, that, so because I did start so early, I've watched who I am as a person I've been able to watch sort of markers of that through my comedy. I've been able to see how I've changed as a person through who I was comedically because I used to be very uh, big and bold, a lot of bravado and zero vulnerability. And I benefited from that uh, because I was able to hide my soft spots. I was able to survive uh, situations by sort of puffing up like an animal in the wild, you know, like avoid attack by being bigger um, and being bolder and uh, putting off this front of being completely unafraid. And as a person, I, I, I believed my own bullshit. <laughs> And then, you know, as I grew and as I went through different just sort of life events, um, and as I just kind of learned more about myself, I was able to see the power of, of my vulnerability and the power of like sort of taking down the armor a little bit and see how much more powerful it was to be able to convey that in my comedy as well. Uh, not as well as bravado, but... In, at the same time, but I mean, it I was able to see the power of being able to convey truly who I am and not be afraid of being attacked. Were you, you know? like that in your just daily life? Were you trying to puff up and act like you were braver than you are just in everyday life? Yeah. Uh, back then, back. Yeah, I think so. For Did not entirely. Sorry. No, that's okay. And Mostly you, though. Did you find that you started letting your vulnerability out on stage first and then were able to bring it into your life? No. It was the other way around? Yeah. Yeah, I feel as though I had to become uh, more authentic with myself off stage before I was able to do it on stage. Um, I would hear from, from 
my comedy friends and you know back then I mean most of my friends were comics because I was I was I was on the road all the time and I was just surrounded by comedy that was my entire life and in Chicago it was like probably 90% of the people I knew were comics so 90% of the people I was around were comics and I would hear from friends and like comics that I go on the road with and stuff that I that I was close enough with to sort of let down the guard. Um, it was so frustrating because they would always say, like, why can't you be you on stage? Why can't you be this on stage? You're so funny. Like when we're just sitting around talking, we're just, you know, why can't you do that on stage? And in my mind, I didn't it was frustrating because I was like, I don't know what you mean. I am me on, I am me. That's me. It's just, you know, it's me on stage. And I didn't really realize that, that I didn't have to inflate myself to like cartoon character proportions to be funny. Yeah. I know when I started, like my jokes were just disgusting like dirty sex jokes, you know, for the most part. Um, and, uh, cause they're easy. And, um, and then I started finding situations where those did not work. Um, and I needed to have other kinds of materials. So I wrote material about my kids and now, um, and now I'm writing, I do, I still write material about relationships and stuff, but it's, it's getting more away from the sex and more about wanting a relationship or my struggles with not finding love versus dick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I still have those dirty jokes and dirty jokes will always be there because they're easy, but, um, I'm trying to write more material that, uh, is, um, yeah, more just truer to myself. That's going to be more unique because it's my unique story, you know? Yeah. But then I, you also have to relate. You have to have stuff that's relatable. So it's like this thing. I, uh, I gotta disagree to a point. I think that some dirty jokes are easy. But I don't believe that the stuff that I was doing, because I was, I was pretty dirty. Um, now, if what I was saying would have been said by a man, would it have been considered as dirty? No, absolutely not. <clears throat> but I don't think it was easy. They weren't easy jokes. They were jokes from my life. And I was living a very sexual life. I was a sex worker, um, still any bit m um and relationships and sex were always like a big part of my life so when people would say oh sex jokes are easy it really bothered me because it was like you're telling me that i'm not being authentic you're telling me that i'm not talking about my human experience but i am yeah i don't yeah. have kids i wasn't married at the time um you know i was writing true to what my life was yeah, I mean, well, I didn't start till I was 38, and I had kids, but those weren't my initial jokes for yeah. kids. Um, they, were, they were just funny stories that I told outside of a bar drinking a um, hundred times before I ever started comedy. Uh, 
that I knew people had laughed at previously. Mm -hmm. And then I purposely made them raunchier. Um, yeah. But then I found like, instead of saying pussy, I say hoo-ha. And it actually go, I tried a whole bunch of different words, like tested them out. Um, and we're also talking about like Wichita crowds. When I, I tried to go do my jokes uh, in front of Topeka and that crowd was not interested in hearing about what my vagina looked like after <laughs> Um Yeah, they were not having that. Um, but that's all I had. All I had was 10 minutes of filth. And so I didn't have anything else at that point to tell them. So I was just like, well, you know, I realized like a minute in that they were not going to be, I realized it to the comedian before them, before me, that they were not going to like dirty jokes, but I didn't have anything else or the ability to come up with something off the cuff. I, I hadn't been doing comedy long enough. And so I was just yeah. like, well, they're going to get what I got. And um, it was uncomfortable for everyone, but I did my 10 minutes. <laughs> That's what I was being paid to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then I started thinking maybe I need to have some, jokes that aren't about sex maybe I should have some some jokes my kid jokes still you know, aren't clean by any means because I'm talking about my kid looking at porn but um, <laughs> yeah but they I mean they're true stories my kid googled naked girls when he was seven that's real it's a story that and I think yeah I think that the, the fact I mean you're saying it's a true story and I think that that is the heart of what makes good comedy it's the authenticity yeah. and so I think that when someone gets up on stage and they're just graphic and they're just dirty because they're like I'm just gonna get a, a reaction I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get a reaction but they don't actually it doesn't like ring true to who they are then I think that it's the audience I believe the audience, much like I said about the college kids, I think they, they have a sense. They can sense when someone is not being real with them. But I think that if what you're saying, I mean, if it's, if it's dirty, if that's who you are, if you have a likability and if you're really an artist, then you're able to sort of um, convey that and you're able to... Um, Gosh, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to think of? I haven't smoked weed for like eight days and I'm telling you, I cannot think of words. Yeah. I know it's supposed to be the other way around, but. I know, uh, but for everybody's brain. Yeah, if you're, um, I feel like authenticity, authenticity is, is what's important. And so, I feel as though if you're being authentic to yourself on stage, then you're less tied to the script of your material. And so you're more able to work with uh, different reactions and you're more able to take the audience and make them part of the experience. And I noticed with myself when I stopped being so tied to, cause I was very, I was very regimented. I was very like my set starts here and then it goes here and it goes here. And it's because I am also very strongly tied to storytelling and I was always tied to writing and story writing. So I believe that everything, you know, you start a story here and then it has action on arc and it has a natural progression of, of the story to the ending. And so I would, uh, I would, um, I would, uh, um, 
seriously. <laughs> I would design my sets and I, the word I'm looking, there is a word that is perfect and I just can't think of it, but I would design my sets much like I would design a story. There was a beginning, middle and an end. It would start with, you know, I know you start strong. Structure. And finish. structure. Yes, structure. Uh, but once I wasn't so tied to that, once I just knew that I know my material and so if I start here, but something happens with the audience that allows me to go somewhere else, I know that if we have this set time together, we have this one hour together, we have, or, you know, a feature act 30, you know, feature set 30 minutes, we have a headliner set uh, 45 to an hour, whatever, whatever confines of time we have together, if I can just use my material that I know I have, I know I have enough material that if they don't laugh one fucking time, I can fill as much time as I need to. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to use all my material. So if we have this set time together, I just want to make sure that, that we as a group, me included, I want to make sure that we have the most memorable, connected, relating time possible. So if I start here and it goes okay, but if something, something comes up that allows me to go to a different place than I normally would, I'm gonna do that. Mm -hmm. If it allows me to go here, or if it allows me to abandon material altogether and work with what the audience is giving me without being cheesy about it, without being like, okay, someone give me an occupation. Well, what do you do, buddy? What do you do, buddy? You know, I, so I wanna create a memorable experience for the crowd and I want it to be I, hopefully I want it to be a good one yeah uh, <laughs> have there been times when I have uh, gone the other way and been like oh, okay we're gonna all have a real bad time of course there have <laughs> not nearly as many uh which you don't a deserve good a good time there <laughs> have been shows where I have uh gone gone the the route of um Batman and you know gone down the darker road uh okay. I, I've just started to like the first, the first three, well, the first three years, I mean, I've only been doing it four years and the first three, I refused to, um, have any alcohol or marijuana or anything, um, to get me on stage because I didn't want to end up being reliant on somebody on some substance to get me up there. Mm -hmm. Um, then I moved to Denver <laughs> and that became more difficult. But then, um, then I would just go up at mics completely high, not knowing what I was going to say at all and just completely winging it. Um, and then I got more comfortable when I was actually doing shows. Like if I'm doing a 20 minute set, I know how I'm going to get in. Uh, I probably know how I want to get out, like what my planned closer would be. Um, so I kind of have a general theme of my material that I'm going to talk about, but yeah, I'm trying not to worry so much about the middle as much. Um, just to, to allow, to allow things to happen organically, um, you know, making comments off of something, somebody yells out or something like that. It, it, it gets a lot. It's, it's, I'm just trying to get more comfortable, like have a mixture of planning and yeah, instead of, I mean, I still have like, <clears throat> I still have like a, a, some, I still have a structure because if you go up and you don't get anything, if I go up and I don't get anything, I, I want to be able to go here to here to here to here because I want the segues to make sense. I want it to be technically um, smooth. Yeah. But uh, 
but I'm just talking you know, about yeah, yeah, like I'm not at clubs or anything yet. So it's like a lot of shows and breweries and whatnot. Good. That's, I wish that I wouldn't have thought that. Well, now the thing is though, I came up when alt comedy was just getting started. Mm -hmm. And so there weren't as many valid shows in places besides comedy clubs or one-nighters that were booked by agencies where you had to be good and the manager of the club got to give you a grade. And I mean, it was just, it was bullshit. But I wish that I wish that I had the leeway that people have today to be themselves, that to, to not have to try to fit into the box because I had to deal with a lot of really ugly situations to try and get that good report card. Um, and, you know, it, when you're up on stage and it's not fun and you're up there and you're like, fuck, I got to do 30 minutes. They hate me and this isn't going well. And the person that's grading me, you know, this is going to affect the next, like with Yoder, like Yoder, I used to work for Yoder a lot and I would know if I had a bad show that would affect future work. So there was so much pressure. There was so much pressure to be what they wanted. Yeah. And there was no, not a lot of freedom. And so that was when I would hear like what you were saying about, like, I needed to have, other, you know, you're saying you needed to have other material besides dirty jokes. That's, it was frustrating for me because that wasn't, it, it just wasn't possible for me. I didn't have other life experiences, you know? Yeah. I didn't have relatable life experiences to people living in Rockford, Illinois. Mm -hmm. even working at the fucking plant. I didn't have relatable experiences for those people, nor were these clubs trying to celebrate me for who I was. Yeah. I wasn't a big name. I wasn't like able to come in and be myself. I was able to come in and open for some fucking shithead who's, you know, singing parody songs about how stupid his wife is. I mean, <laughs> it was not a time of celebrating diversity or trying to no one was trying to to no one was it was just um it was just a different time and it wasn't yeah no I get it yeah I I mean I think that part of um I mean, I didn't start, I started later and I've seen a lot of benefits. So I didn't have to deal with a lot of um, just the issues of trying to find out who I am while also trying to figure out my voice on stage and then meld the two together. And I was, my personality is pretty set, you know, by 38. Um, and I also had, you know, a whole lot of life experience <clears throat> to, to, to start writing jokes about. Um, I have no idea what I, what jokes I, I, yeah, I mean, all I, at 20, well, I had kids at 20, but if I hadn't had children at 20, yeah, my life would have been partying and having sex. So what else would I have wrote about? <laughs> um, there wasn't anything else. Um, but, uh, so there was a benefit to starting later for sure. Luckily I don't look my age. That helps. Um, why, 
why is it like why do you think it's beneficial to not because one people know how old i am they assume i've been doing comedy a lot longer than i have and they expect me to be further along than i am um because i just don't see a lot of uh, 38 you know 42 year old women's doing comedy that haven't been doing it for you know a while um so that's one benefit that they think i'm younger and then that's just just the things I joke about and stuff. I have a friend that, you know, she's in her 60s and she makes a lot of jokes about sex and stuff. And I mean, they're funny and everybody likes them, but if the crowd's super young, they get uncomfortable because they're like, oh, a 60 year old talking about sex. When people look at me, they don't see their mom, even though I am old enough and have children the age of a lot of the comics. Um, but they don't see their mom when they look at me which is good because I'm, I mean, I am a mom, but I don't have like mom comedy. Someone tried to label me as a mom comic and I was like, I'm a mom and I'm a comic and I have jokes about my kids, but I'm not like a mom comic to where all my jokes are about my kids. Or um, when I think of a mom comic, I think of somebody that has, that could, that could do a joke, you know, a clean set about her babies or something at the church. I don't know. I didn't like being called a mom comic. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm a, I'm a mom who happens to also be a comic, but I'm not like, a, my theme is not my mom, mom comedy. Um, I don't really like, I hate it when people try to label it all together. What kind of comedy yeah. do you do? I kind of thought that, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> I haven't really been immersing in I don't know. I guess, yeah, I'm maybe so much older than um, most of the comics here. I don't really hang out with them much, so I don't really know that that there's like a lot of labels. Um, but I, hmm, it's kind of just not distressing, but it's kind of. I'm sad to hear that there's still those labels. I think that good for your friend that's 60 and tells sex jokes, good for yeah. her and good for her for making young crowds uncomfortable. Good for her for sharing her experience and for sharing her art with, with, her, with her experience in mind. Oh, sorry, cat jumped off me. Uh, with her experience in mind above what the crowd wants. Um, I think that if a crowd is uncomfortable then it's our job as a comic to address that and be unafraid of it. I think that if the crowd is uncomfortable beyond for one joke, if, if it's just an ongoing discomfort, then it doesn't help to not address it. It speaks to a level, it's just sort of a, like a lower level of professionalism to not address it. And it makes you look like, that does look like you're just performing. Yeah. You know? And it's, and it is, um, cause if you're just having a conversation with someone and you feel no connection with it and the, and you know, every time you try to say something, they just go, huh? Yeah. You're going to say something like after you say three things that they're like, Oh, huh. You're going to be like, are you, are we not taught? Are we, is this not, are we not having a conversation here? 
Um, I think that, man, good for the comics that make people uncomfortable with, with authentic experience. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Good for the people Women who can say who they really are, regardless of how it's received. Good for the people who tell their truths. Yeah. I just think if I, I don't feel my age. And I think. I mean, I don't feel my age, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm reminded every time I try to date a dude that's hella younger than me that I am indeed 44. Yeah. Well, I'm 42. You're not that much older than me, but yeah, I get that. Uh, they don't catch any of the references. And although I think men mature to about the age of 30 and then that's it. Um, <laughs> So I've, I've been, I've been keeping my people in generally the 29 to 31 year old age for about, about five or six years now. And uh, it's not like I purposely get rid of one because they age out. It just, that's, well, that's mighty kind of you. <laughs> it just happens to be that way. Um, but it doesn't matter who I date, old or young, they're all awful. So <laughs> true. Men, Agreed. Men are terrible. I don't. I guess. I, I. And my tolerance for their bullshit is at a nothing. Right. Oh now. yeah. Oh me too. Yeah. Me too. And I gotta tell you, they are not. They are not behaving well in this fucking quarantine. Go. <laughs> what is wrong with them? What is happening? Yeah. Like, dude. I, uh, these aren't you know, even dudes that are getting laid all the time, so it's not like they're missing anything. No, 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 they're not. Then they're just, they're just, they're not fucking. Behave. But you know what? The thing is, like, maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I'm like, I'm not like working my job. I'm not out doing my thing. Maybe I'm just sensitive to it because I'm just sitting home, like, like getting just like pounded with DMs that I'm just like, motherfucker. You think this is the time for it? Oh, you've been crushing on me forever. Oh, really? Well, let me tell you how I feel about you. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) It started mm. at the very beginning with a couple dudes being like, like, you know, casual comedy friends reaching out to me to let me know that they are also going through this alone. And if I ever need to talk. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, that's how it started. And then, yeah. yeah, there's just been an increase in high, just high DMs uh-huh. um, by randos. And then also, I like the, the midnight to 2 a.m. High, yeah. Yeah. high or the midnight to 2 a.m. Like if you if you ever need to talk like, hey, yeah. hey, can I can I call you right now? Can I call? No, you can't. No, I need to talk at noon tomorrow. How's noon? Yeah. Tomorrow during the day. Yeah. You, you um, need to talk? How about if I talk? You want me to talk about my mom with Alzheimer's? You want me to talk about, like, my the, the increasing grief over a father I didn't grieve? Like, what kind of talking do you want? I guarantee the talking that I need to do isn't the fucking listening you want to do. That's a very good way to put it. I'm going to use that. I'm, I, gonna, uh, I'm yeah. straight up going to say that to somebody. I just know it. Yeah. But also, like, I wasn't online dating. Um. I quit in January and I was, when this first started, I was dating somebody. So I wasn't going through it alone. So they just assumed I didn't have a boyfriend because I hadn't been talking about him because we hadn't been dating very long. 
And um, we broke up like week one of the actual, once comedy got shut down and I spent four days in a row with him. And I was like, ah, um, <laughs> never mind. I'll go be alone. Thank you. And, um, but then I, so I got bored and just kind of curious to see what my theory was wrong. I thought maybe that since we were in quarantine or whatever and we couldn't go meet that there might actually be some people on there that wanted to actually talk to me and get to know oh, me person you know but no immediately they were just like some really good sex would make you feel better oh, and God. i was like dude i'm not even shaking your hand i'm not gonna come i'm not gonna come over and no and obviously you didn't read my profile because i straight up am pretty clear that i'm not gonna hook up with you even yeah. when I, if it wasn't a quarantine, I wouldn't just be like, sure, I'll be right over, stranger. Yeah. And I told one guy, I was like, if I was going to do that, I would, why would I not just make you pay for it? That doesn't make yes. any sense. Exactly. Exactly. That's, not, you know, you want me to do that? Fine. There better be a hundred dollar bill in it for me. Like, I'm not just, yeah. You know, this dial a pussy. What do you think's happening right now? But I was, I was shocked. And then I was shocked that I was shocked. But yeah, they're just like, um, and then I had a friend, a guy who I actually kind of had a little crush on or whatever, but never acted on it, messaged me at like nine o'clock at night, wanting to know if I had ever gone on a midnight walk or midnight hike and Ugh. wanted to go on a walk. And this sad, stupid man. And then it came out that he was, too, he was drunk and he was like, you just want to come over here and hang out? That sounds like easier. And I was like, it's 930. I'm not going anywhere. But if you want to go on a walk, I'm free tomorrow at four. And we can go on a walk and you can show me that totem pole you're talking about. And, you know, we can do that. And then, no, that totem pole only exists when I'm drunk at midnight. Right. <laughs> There's no totem pole at a regular hour in the daylight. There's only magical things when I'm drunk at midnight. Did he mean that his totem pole was his penis? Oh God, I pro and probably I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, so I was like, no, I can meet you tomorrow. And he was like, cool, we can he agreed to go on the walk. I was actually straight up with him and I was like, look, dude, if you're trying to get laid, I'm not into that. Uh quarantine or no quarantine. I'm not that's not what I'm looking for. Which you know because you've heard my comedy and actually talked to me outside of mics. You're fully aware that I am not looking to just get laid. And um and he was just like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. What? Me? No, I just, I just wanted to get to know you better. Um, and so I was, and of course, like the next day when it, like two hours before we were supposed to go on this walk, he, he backed out with some bullshit. And I was yeah. like, well, cool. I'm going to Wichita for two weeks. So I don't know, maybe hit me up when I get back and we can see if we can go on that walk. But I was totally prepared that he was going to back out of the walk once he woke up and was sober. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. contact me during the daytime when you're sick. I, I feel as though being a sex worker has, has helped me to this point, like after this many years of it, like it's helped me to sort of be able to, um, not feel like men and dick is that important um 
And as a comic, uh, I was, I really felt, I don't know how to say this. Um, Sex isn't what it's sold as. And I don't mean that in the sex work term. I mean, like, sex isn't the salvation that it's, that it's, it's sold as. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the seed from which a lot of beautiful things grow. Um, and... I thought that owning my sexuality and not being afraid of it would get me respect in comedy. And that is not what happened. And I would certainly not say hide it. I would just say, don't expect. I, I have always thought this society was more progressed than it is. And, um, I don't know. It's helped me. It hasn't helped me in the ways that I had hoped it would, but it's helped me to have to forge my own path and it's helped me to have to create my own opportunities and, um, It's helped me to be able to uh, sort of see clearly, see beyond a lot of bullshit. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, like, I'm trying not to, to sound, not pessimistic, but like, Oh, it'll hurt you. I'm trying not to sound like <laughs> I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not. I think that, I mean, you, you know, that I think that a lot of, um, I, I think that I'm not going to have the same comedy. Like comedy is different now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. But yeah. It's still, I, I mean, I don't care about, the comedy club route of things good because it really hasn't changed that much no um, comedy clubs like before me too comedy clubs i remember i remember once i was at riddles in orland park uh just outside chicago and i had just gotten fired for the first time from a club the week before um and I was, so I was real like gun shy and I had worked riddles a million times. The owner, Kenny was like, I mean, he was like fucking family to me. He was like an uncle. And, uh, he called me in between shows on Friday and my early show, it was just a Friday, Saturday room. My early show had not been good. Early show Fridays were always like kind of my nightmare because people, you know, they rush around to get off work and then they rush to the club to get their be seated by like 7 30 and then there's an eight o'clock show and they're just not they're tight so for me early show friday was always like my nightmare so it wasn't very good he calls me into his office between shows 
and I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna get fired. Oh my God, it wasn't a good show. He's gonna fire me. And Kenny, like I said, he was like family. So I go in there and he's, uh, he says, well, uh, my landlord was here for a show. And now I'm really worried. Now I'm like, oh fuck, I'm gonna get fired. Oh my God, oh my God, I've embarrassed him in front of his land. You know, I'm like really like, oh God. And he goes, and he liked you. And now my brain's like, what? Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> People don't like me, what? And he goes, would you blow him? Okay, so three sentences. My landlord is here first show and he likes you. Would you blow him? And I, so my face is like, oh no, what? Uh, Ugh. Yeah. And so he must have seen, I mean, I don't, like, I couldn't, I didn't know, you know, my brain was just like, what the fuck? Like, what, where are we on this road? And he, my, my face must have been doing something that would have showed some sort of like confusion or shock or distress. Because he goes, oh, oh no, oh, oh, I would pay you. Like, so he's like, oh, oh no, as though he's going to be comforting. And then he's like, I would pay you. And then the fucking landlord walks in and then Kenny's like, uh, no, no. And like, he walks back out, but I'm just like, uh, uh, and then I have to go up and do second show. Oh God. And then, so after that, I went to Zany's, like after I, after I was done with my set, I left and I went to Zany's downtown, which was like my home club. And, uh, Lewis Black was working that week. And my best friend, Patty was the bartender down there. So I walk in and Rick, the owner was there. And I walk in and I'm just like upset and it's after their late show. And uh, so Rick and Lewis are standing at the bar and Patty's bartending and I tell Patty what happened and Rick and Lewis here and, uh, and they're so incensed for me. And they are so just like that motherfucker, what the, and like Lewis Black is one of the nicest men I have ever met in comedy. One of my favorites. I yeah. call him my angry Jew. Yeah. He was, he was just always so lovely to me. And Rick, the owner was always so nice to me. And, uh, it was, it was exactly what I needed after having that happen at Riddles. So the next day comes, so we go out, we get shithoused because that was when I was drinking a lot. And so just most nights I would just go out and get shithoused. So we go out, get shit house. I wake up the next day, usual hangover. And I got the whole day to think about it, the whole day to decide what to do. And I just went out and did my shows, got paid and never went back. Yeah. Lost a club I worked at because I wouldn't blow the owner's landlord. And now to be fair, I didn't lose that club because I wouldn't blow the yeah, landlord. Well, well, I lost the club because I didn't want to go back after that you the club lost me but you know it's a it's a seller's market so yeah Yeah. um that's why I I love the like Denver Denver comedy and the scene there is a perfect place for me to start this nonprofit because it is very female strong um there's a, a very large group of good female comedians there that are running things you know that are big name staples in the comedy 
community in Denver. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really, really good place. It's a friendly place to bring new female comedians into. That's wonderful. Um, compared to other scenes. Um, yeah. Because they will walk into a mic and there will be other women there. Maybe not as many men, obviously, but they're not going to be the only female at a mic. Um, because they're just, there's so many female comedians. Like the, the festival I'm doing um, was over half. Of, I mean, I opened it up to, like, if you were a Colorado, female Colorado comedian, you're in. And, and so... Um, and then I opened it up to the people that had been on it before. And then I opened it up to submissions. So submissions were a very small part of it. I would say at least half of the comedians that are on the festival are Denver or Denver area, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs, that general area there. Um, at least half, which is like 40 comedians. And so, and that's just the ones that submitted because they had that, they had the availability to be able to do that. There's, many many female comedians that are doing they couldn't commit to doing a show that early because they actually are you know their income is comedy um and so yeah there's 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 so many and they're they're very supportive they're not like mean girl about it i know some comedy scenes i've been in or traveled to or spent any significant time in they can be clicky and mean girl about it yeah and not that there aren't friend groups or whatever um, that hang outside of comedy, but like at shows, you, you know, they just want to put on the best shows they can. And so they want to put on the funniest people they can. And they do, their crowds want diversity and their crowds want female comics. And, you know, they want to hear different voices. Um, and so I think it's a really, it's a really good place to, to, to try to do my nonprofit and then branch out from there. Cause I, I wanted to spend more time in Denver. I was just thinking about it like this week, actually. Amazing. It's my favorite. Yeah. I've heard really good things. I have a couple friends out there. Yeah. It's uh, I know several comedians that support themselves almost primarily off of stand up, and they don't travel. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. They just do local shows or comedy works there, uh, which is owned by a woman. Wendy uh -huh. Curtis, yeah. Yeah, they do. They have a new talent night and they move people kind of through the ranks. And it takes some time, but eventually they, they try to get all their, like at least the MC of the shows is a local comic, um, which still is a very small percentage of the comics, but at least that's an opportunity that is there. Because um, Comedy Works is, I don't know if it's the best club in the country, but it's definitely up there. You know, it's, I mean, since, since I've been around, and again, 100 years, um, it's always been so highly respected, and she's always, always been spoken well of. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard... I haven't heard anything bad about it. I heard it's hard to get into, but you know, if that's the worst thing that I've heard about a club, that is pretty great. It's hard to get into because it's worth getting into. Yeah. And uh, it's an amazing club and I miss going there on Tuesday nights and never getting up because the standby list, the people don't not show up for their sets usually. Um, and the standby list always has out-of-towners. 
but I just love going there and watching it. And it's, um, it's a great club, man. I miss it. I didn't go there enough when I could have went there and I regret it. <laughs> now I just want to go there so bad, but I've only done like my first two minute set and I was calling in, you know, you got to call in every week and then you get to, if you do well, your first two minutes, which I did, you get to do three minutes and you stay at three minutes and then you get to do four. And then so there, there's actually a build good this, comics. You don't build good comics by giving them 15 minutes no. on there's their first there's time a, on stage. You know, you system. build good comics by making them respect smaller amounts of time, you know, fill small amounts of time with as much funny as possible. Be tight. You know, and I say that as someone who no longer, <laughs> no longer uh, <laughs> goes for like gravity, but yeah. That's, yeah. Well, they, they give you notes afterwards and, and the, the comedians they have running it are comedians that are, are, I respect their opinion of what I'm doing on stage. Um, they'll have guests, like whoever the headliner is, give notes on it, whoever the headliner, which is usually a Denver comedian that's, you know, made it to the MC position at least, if not feature. Um, and so, you know, it was really, they, they just started it, but they like tell you how long till you got your first laugh, how many laps per minute you got and, you know, things like that. And they're, they're, they're coaching the comedians that come in there. They're not just, that's great. Um, so yeah, it's a whole program with spreadsheets. It was started by Deacon Gray. Um, really he built what they have now. And then when he passed away, people took over, but it's, it's one of the main reasons I wanted to be in Denver was to start, was to get into that program. Cause I don't, I really don't want to go the club route, but I, I want to perform at Comedy Works. Well, there's, I mean, there's a difference between the club circuit and like this handful of quality clubs that sort of runs with integrity. Yeah. You know? yeah. I've and that, that's the thing. It's integrity. I think a lot of the clubs, they don't have integrity and it's still just a, a you know, good old boys club. And I don't know. I have so much fun doing independent shows and I believe, I really strongly believe that having fun, if we aren't having fun, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to make the audience believe that you're having fun when you aren't. Yeah. And I won't say it's so hard for them to have a good time. <clears throat> I won't say that because I know a lot of, you know, a lot of comics go up and just hammer it out, hammer it out. I'm a professional. I hammer it out. And, and that's totally, that's great. That's great. And that's fine. But, you know, we don't know how much time we have in comedy and life. And I know how good it can feel when I'm having fun. And I know how good I know how good I am when I'm having fun. Yeah. So if, if that means that I just travel around doing independent shows and like bartending for a hundred more years, uh, maybe I'm okay with that. Yeah. Cause there's, when I get off stage after I've had fun, it's so lovely. It's so nice. And when I get off stage after pulling fucking teeth, it's just, ugh. 
And if I don't know how much time I have, why don't I want to spend as much of it having fun and feeling good as possible? That's pretty much my attitude since I turned 40. This isn't fun. I'm leaving. Yeah. About everything. About my job, relationships, comedy. Good. There's there's no reason not to. That's one reason why I changed kind of how I was. I was was making comedy not fun for me by being so rigid. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was sucking the fun right out of it. And I was like, I'm going to ruin comedy for myself if I don't chill out and just relax and have there we go and have fun um because and that's one reason why i like working with new comedians um because they still are so you know not jaded and excited about comedy and um but it's it's easy to be excited about comedy in denver like i don't want to I'm a little biased, but I really love Denver. I love the city. I love the comedy scene. I love Colorado. <laughs> I love I've been to Denver. I've done burlesque in Denver and I've done comedy at a burlesque club in Denver, but I haven't done, I just, I haven't done just stand up and that, that's something I would like to do. Yeah. Well, there's I want to come out there and just do shows. Yeah. There's a lot of it. There's a lot being ran by females and they love out of town comics. Um, it's, it's easier to get booked on a show in Denver. If you're, I mean, obviously you have to be funny, you know what I mean? Um, but you well, all I'll work on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's easier to, it's, it's almost easier to get on shows at least for like guest spots or 15 minute spots or, or whatever, if you're not, um, not from there and you know, there's, there's, you can work out being in two or three shows in a night. If, oh. if you communicate it with the, if you can coordinate it right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of shows, especially, like Fridays and there's mics every day, um, mm-hmm. two or three mics every single day. Um, especially if you include Fort Collins and Colorado Springs, there's probably at least two shows a day. And then even more on Fridays and Saturdays, there's, um, an actual dedicated comedy room. Um, the Denver comedy lounge, um, like an independent club, basically it, it does Thursday through Sunday shows. And, oh, that's great. And they're, they're comedians. Uh, it was started by, he was from, uh, New York and he's really funny. Um, and, and, and I've gone to watch shows there a lot. I'm not at the level where they're booking me. Um, but, uh, I go to watch shows there a lot and it's always a like, it doesn't matter. I always know if I'm going to go to the Denver Comedy Lounge, it's going to be funny. It's going to be a good show. I've never gone there and it not be, they not have excellent comics there. So it's really got a reputation of having good comics. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a couple different, yeah, there's the comics, there's comics, uh, there are a couple, they own a bar called. Oh Rock. yeah, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> so Megan came through Kansas City and she did my alleyway show. Okay. She did my festival last year. Nice. In Wichita. She was kind of like the closer for the Saturday night. And I felt bad. She's funny. I liked her a lot. So many people left by the time she got up there. She wasn't 
doing it to very many people and it was in a huge room, but it was the first year of the festival, so. And it was too much. There wasn't really a good middle space in Wichita. There's like bars and then like these big theaters. There really wasn't like a very good, not that it was open. There's Roxy's, would have been perfect, but it was booked. Um, yeah, to try to have it here. That's thing in Denver too, there's like, as much comedy as there is, there's always room for more. Nice. Because there's so many great. people there. Um, and they haven't even really like expanded out into the boroughs, you know, um, like in Denver. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, DIY shows, not too much. Uh -huh. Comedy works built to show, you know, a new, a second one down South. That's kind of in more of the suburbs. Um, but it's really funny how that club works differently than the one downtown. Uh, like the downtown ones where they do all the new talent stuff. They don't new, do new talent stuff down at the South one and they have a competition down at the South one. That's like a clean comedy competition because Wendy's a smart businesswoman and she knows her audience, you know, mm -hmm. so they book that, they book that room differently than they book downtown. Um, but the people out in the suburbs want comedy too. It's just not going to be, you know, the same comedy that you're going to get downtown. But I think that there's a, there's a market out there. For other kind of comedy so um there's always room to have more shows and they're like i don't want to go start a show in denver there's already so many shows i'm like just make a better one then you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just you just got it like there's already so many different kinds of socks but they're always thinking of new ways to make socks they are indeed just find a way to do it better that's all you have to do well it was very great talking to you. It was um, great talking to you too. Thank you. It was it was nice to talk to somebody with so much um, experience. Thank you. Um, I haven't really had a, most of the comedians I've been talking to are like four or five years in, like me. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience. And um, yeah, this will the art of comedy one will be up shortly. It's very edited. Um, but I've been sticking some of the, if you don't mind, I've been putting them on my fat, lonely bitch one too. No, um, please sit for, for whatever you can, whatever, you know, glean whatever nuggets, uh, that are like, that I, that made any sense. I'm sorry. I, I think no. I lost my train of thought a lot, but, um, yeah, if you just can edit it so I don't sound like such a rambling pool. That would be awesome. Yeah, I do that too because I do a lot of like pausing and thinking. So there's like yeah. quiet periods, and then I'm like, um, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. I say you know a lot. I yeah, you know, you know, you know. And I so I edit out the ums and the uhs and the you knows. Awesome, I appreciate that. Half of it right there. <laughs> But thank you, and you have a good night, and stay safe. Thank you. Okay. You too. Bye. Yeah, I hope to. I hope to meet you in person soon. Me too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.